Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. Hey, before we dive in, will y'all join me in prayer? Jesus, we just welcome your presence here. God, I pray uh, that as we dive into your word, I pray that you would give us uh, your eyes to understand gentleness and meekness. I pray that you just fill us up with it until it overflows out from us and heals everyone we encounter. We just pray for that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, again, welcome to Classic City. I'm Daniel, and today we're going to be continuing through our sermon series, The Fruit of the Spirit. Uh, for the whole of the summer, it's been eight weeks. By the end of today, it'll be nine. Um, we have been going through this really famous passage in Scripture in Galatians chapter 5. And in that passage, I'm going to sum it up really quickly. Uh, Paul is speaking to this really young church. Uh, they called themselves the, the Church of Galatia. It was the city-state in the ancient Greco-Roman Empire. And he sums up for them in a really beautiful way, kind of creates this metaphor that sums up the experience of the Christian life. And he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. It's kind of this metaphor. He says, just like a tree, like a certain species of tree always produces a certain kind of fruit, if you're a Christian, right, if that's the species, right, if that's the tree that you are, you will produce a certain kind of lifestyle. You'll have a certain kind of life experience, right? And then he lists kind of these aspects of this fruit of the Spirit. And he says, there are nine things when you actually are living the Christian life, if the Holy Spirit is actually inside you, if you're truly a Christian, there are nine things that God is gonna do in your life, give to you, and then from the overflow of those nine things, everyone who meets you will be encountering those nine things. If you're really a Christian, these are the nine sort of aspects that define your life. And that list he gives, again, we won't open up the Bible there today, but in Galatians chapter five, he says this, it's love, joy, peace, then patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, or wisdom, or temperance. These are the nine things that define the Christian life. And so what we've been doing all summer is kind of doing a word dive, kind of really diving into what does it mean when Paul says each and every one of these kind of nine aspects of the Christian life, let's really look into them to really get a full scope of what does it mean to be a Christian. Uh, and today, we're diving into the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that's gentleness or meekness. They're interchangeable when you translate the Bible from Greek to English. Uh, so gentleness or meekness, what does it mean when Jesus says, I want to give you and then produce through you gentleness? And, and I want to kind of begin where we're going to end today, just with a definition, a biblical definition of gentleness. See, gentleness is what happens when someone listens to God completely, gives God their full attention, and at the same time gives you their undivided attention. Gentleness is what happens when someone listens to God and they listen to you, and because of that, you get healed. For those of you guys who take notes, I'll say it one more time, just because it's important. Gentleness is what happens when someone listens to God as they listen to you, and because of that, you get healed. So what we're going to do today, I want us just to dive into Scripture. We're going to go New and Old Testament. We're going to be all over today, so hope you brought your Bibles. If you didn't, it's okay. Some of it will be on the screen, unfortunately. 
I wasn't responsible, and some of it might not be. Um, but we'll, we'll, read, we'll be reading scripture together. We're going to see, again, just not everything, but a pretty whole New and Old Testament view on gentleness, on meekness. And then as we do, we're going to kind of just see what does that mean that God wants to give this to us, and what does it mean that God wants to produce this in our lives. So again, today, biblical gentleness. We're going to start really briefly in Matthew chapter 5. First place I want to take us to, right, again, a biblical Christian Jesus view of gentleness. You should probably start with the words of Jesus. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're starting in verse 1. I'll give us a second just to flip open. When Jesus saw that there were crowds forming, he went up on a mount, and after he sat down, his disciples and followers came to him. So he began to speak to them, and he taught them, saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for it's they that will inherit the earth. He keeps going, but we're going to stop there. Um, This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, So just for some context, uh, I always say it this way. There are four gospels, um, four kind of collections of eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible, and they all kind of really, they're, they're pretty synonymous. They, they hit a lot of things because it's just people witnessing Jesus. It was the same guy, same life. But they all have a little bit of a different lens or a different tone. And Matthew's really particular. He was known as Jesus' scribe. He literally was the guy who would write down notes. He was the note taker for the church, if you will. Um, he took down notes on his bulletin, and his notes were so good that he would give them to the church after to make sure that they remembered what Jesus said, if you will. That was kind of his role. And when Matthew, as the scribe, was, was recording Jesus' life, he paid really careful attention to his teachings. So there's a saying we, we have in theological circles, if you want to know how Jesus thinks, if you want to think like Jesus, go to Matthew. And here's why. In Matthew, we get this Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon. Uh, scholars debate it's either one of three things. Uh, some people think that... Uh, This is just a collection. Matthew, again, he was the note taker. So he takes all of Jesus' most used sermons and he puts them all together in this one kind of account. Other people, uh, scholars, think that this was just a single sermon that Jesus did. It's very, very long, so it would have taken hours. But back in the ancient world, they would do things like that all the time, so it's very plausible this was just one sermon. Or what a lot of people think is it's kind of a mixture of both. This is a sermon on the mount that Jesus really gave that included all these points, but Matthew also took like notes from his other sermons or when he would break this down occasionally and he puts it all together in this, they'd call it like summa cum or like this wholesale teachings of the greatest sermons of Jesus. Either way you look at it, this is give or take the most important sermon or teaching Jesus ever gave and this is how he starts it. One of the first things he wants to address is his view on meekness and gentleness. And what he says is this, it's blessed, or it's God's gift, or when you get to the kingdom of heaven, when we die and go to heaven, we look at the wholesale of history, what you'll find is the luckiest, the most blessed, the most gifted people on earth will be the humble and the meek. He said, blessed are the meek. He says this, because they will inherit the earth. Let me retranslate that for some of us. It's easy to miss. He literally says this, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, because they dominate the world. If you want to rule the world, Jesus says, if you want to know what I think rules the world, dominates it, 
consumes it, it's gentleness and meekness. It's the first thing Jesus says on this topic. But I don't want us to stop there. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. I want you guys to hear this from other voices of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 25. Like I said, guys, we're flipping around a little bit today. Proverbs chapter 25. And unfortunately, because pastor wasn't on top of his stuff, there's no slide. But um, Proverbs chapter 25. All right. We're going to start in verse 1, but we're really going to hone in. We're going to skip ahead to verse 11. But if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to start in verse 1, and then we're going to skip down to 11. These are the Proverbs of Solomon. The officials of King Hezekiah of Judah copied them down. It's the glory of God to conceal things or to hide things, but it's the glory of a king to search them out. It goes down. And then we're going to pick up back in verse 11. See, a word that's fitly spoken, it's like apples of gold in settings of silver, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise concern and a listening ear. Like the cold mist of snow in the middle of harvest are faithful messengers to those who send them. They refresh the spirit of the masters. Like clouds and when without rain though, is someone who boasts of a gift they've never actually received. With patience, even the greatest of kings can be moved, and the gentle word breaks a bone. Okay, let me explain where we are right now. Uh, like we said at the beginning, I read that first verse because I wanted to give you all some context. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, and in his day, uh, my dad always likes to say it this way, Solomon was a combination of Martin Luther King Jr., Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and George Washington all at once. If you can put all those people together, that often also includes Tony Stark in there. I will say that. Um, right? If you can put all those personalities together, you're starting to get a glimpse at what Solomon was for his era. He was the most wealthy man alive for the better part of a century. He was the most successful man because he, he built literally some of the seven wonders of the world. Right, the most accomplished architect of ancient history, almost. Especially when you, in terms of independent people, he might be the most successful architect of ancient history. Right, on top of that, he was the greatest writer, the most prolific writer of, on earth for that time. And still to this day, his proverbs are considered the core wisdom, some of the core wisdom of our, our history as people. So you can start to get a, like, a view of what this guy was like. And on top of that, he was the king of Israel. He was the leader of God's people. So he's one of the primary religious leaders of his day too. Mix all these things together and you're starting to get a glimpse of just how intense and amazing and impressive this guy was. And it says, these are his proverbs. At the end of his life, that he would have been recorded at the end of his life. At the end of his life, Solomon started to reflect on everything he'd done and everything he'd learned, and one of the things he started to write down were Proverbs. Um, a proverb is just kind of like a quick one-line poem. It's like a, a song, but it's literally just a single verse. And in that poem, it, it creates kind of an image in your mind. It's kind of like a, a play on words. And what it's intended to do is get you to start to think and feel a deep truth. They're intentionally kind of like these images that just leave an impression on you. And in that, it's supposed to form the way you view the world. 
And so Solomon starts writing down these Proverbs, and again, these are some of the last ones he wrote, reflecting on the whole of his incredibly impressive life. And at the end, he actually gives these series of Proverbs, and at the end of the stanzas, he explains to you that they were all about gentleness. And here's what the most powerful, impressive, successful, and dominant figure of the ancient world had to say. I want to just kind of walk with us. Again, these are Proverbs, so they're meant to be experienced. If any of you guys um, went through like middle school literature, it's like a haiku, right? You have to kind of taste it and experience it. So I want us to go through these, but I want us to kind of just, again, give time to feel these image play out, images play out in our minds. A word that's fitly spoken, it means a word that someone has sat on for a while and waited. Again, gentleness, it's holding someone, it's listening. A word that someone fitly speaks or holds before they speak it. It's like an apple of solid gold set in silver. It's priceless. It's worth its weight in gold. When someone waits to speak, gentleness, when you meekly wait before you speak, that's how precious it is. Like a gold ring or an ornament or a chain of solid gold is a wise word and a listening ear. Let that wait. A, a chain of solid gold, that's how valuable it is. That's what it does to you. You can feel the weight of how precious it is because it's that heavy. Like the cold snow in the time of harvest are faithful messengers to those who send them. They refresh the spirit of the masters. This one's a little bit difficult for us because we've never lived in the ancient Middle East. I, I don't think anyone in the room has lived in, in the ancient Middle East where there's no air conditioning. The average day, not to mention this is harvest season, so the average day is circa 105, 110, 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And during harvest season, you spend your whole day outside. And he's saying this, he's trying to create this image in your mind. Hey, it's the middle of the day. You're in the desert. You've been spending the whole day in 100, 110, 120 degrees Fahrenheit. You are sweating you're exhausted, and all of a sudden, mist, snow starts blowing in from the mountains. You imagine that feeling. He's saying that's what gentleness is. Uh, maybe this will help make this kind of image play a little bit more real. I will never forget my first day uh, as a student at UGA at Sanford Stadium. I will never forget my first football game. Uh, see, uh, my first year of uh, college, they decided to start the, the football season early, so it was still August. Some of y'all know where this is going. Um, and I joined a fraternity coming into college. And my fraternity back then, they have changed this since, thank God. Um, but they thought it was a great idea to tell the freshmen, hey, on your first football game of the season, in the middle of August in Athens, you should wear khaki pants and a button down and like tie it with a bow tie. They thought that was a good attire for a football game in the middle of August. So my first football game, I spent the morning out in the hot summer sun in August, 100% humidity, 98, 99 degrees, just burning up. And then, as a class, we all, we all went down to the stadium together, and it was miles in the sun. My red pants started to look like crimson in certain spots. My White shirt was now see-through, and that uh, wonderful tie, bow tie, was choking me. Um, we entered into the stadium, 
that's made of concrete. That means heated stone. And realize something as we walked in. It's shaped like an oven. It's literally shaped like an oven. And inside, if you're not seating, like sitting on the hot concrete, you're sitting on the reflective metal that they placed in between that reflects the light and multiplies it. I was literally in an oven for four hours, covered in like winter gear. It felt like winter gear for hours. And in the middle of this circumstance where I literally might have been risking medical dehydration, something happened. I realized there was a girl behind me who pulled out one of those little Disney fans, those little Disney misters, Y'all know where this is going. And she started to spray herself, but the mist started to carry down and hit me. I felt what it was like to have winter snow in the middle of harvest season. This is what gentleness does for us. It probably actually kept me alive, not lying. It probably kept me on my feet for those four hours. But that's what gentleness does. It heals you. It keeps you on your feet. Okay. Then he contrasts it, though. He makes one comment, a warning in the middle of this in verse 14. But like clouds and wind, like storm clouds with no actual rain is a person who boasts of a gift they've never actually been given. He says someone who can, has all of the wisdom or presents all of the knowledge or presents all the truth of God but has never actually received his gentleness, it's all posturing. It's storm clouds with no rain. There's nothing actually there. It's a big talk with no substance. And then he wraps up this passage with the whole point. See, it's with the soft word or with patience, even a king can be moved aside. He's talking about himself. He's saying even the most powerful, impressive, successful person on earth cannot stand before gentleness. And then he says this, it's the meek word that can break solid bone. It's the meek word that destroys anything that shouldn't be there. Meekness, utter healing, gentleness, utter victory. We'll wrap up looking at what Jesus had to say again in one of his sermons. We're back in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 25. Uh, we started with, one of, uh, with the beginning of one of Jesus' sermons. I want us to end with the ending of one of them. So this is another one of Jesus' sermons. Again, it's Matthew, so he's collecting sermons. And this is how Jesus chose to wrap up another one of his most famous interactions. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things even from the wise and the educated, and you've revealed them to children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my weight upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle for I'm meek at my heart. And you will find 
rest and healing for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a quick survey of biblical gentleness from the words of Solomon, the wisest man in scripture, and Jesus, God incarnate, right? Okay, here's three things, three common threads I just want to point out in all of that. There's a lot of places we could go, but there's three things. Again, gentleness, meekness is what happens when you are paying full attention to someone across from you. And the first thing that that requires is having already experienced God holding you and listening to you yourself. You cannot give, much less boast, of something you have not been given. Meekness, gentleness always comes, that ability to hold people, that ability to actually be a vessel of God's healing, it always comes from you yourself having experienced God holding you and healing you. The first thing about meekness is that it comes when God heals you of your own weakness. In our world, a lot of times when you hear about the world or you hear kind of secular opinions on meekness or gentleness, a lot of times uh, what they think of when they think of someone who's gentle or their opinion of gentleness is either that it's a result of fear or timidity or a lack of security. You're not secure enough to, to shout or to say what you think. But in God's view, he says it this way, Only someone who truly is secure because they know that I've held them can actually hold another person. See, a lot of times we think meekness is weakness, but truly meekness is what happens when you've been healed of your own weaknesses. The second thing that always comes up when we talk about biblical gentleness, the second thing Jesus always says when he says, I see a gentle person or I see a meek person is that it always results in healing. It's God's primary way that he heals us. It says in scripture, it's his softness, it's his kindness, it's his gentleness that leads us to repentance. If you wanna transform someone's life, if you wanna dominate the earth, if you wanna rule it, if you wanna be a part of healing someone or changing someone's life, it requires meekness, gentleness. You can't be a part of God's healing in someone else's life until you're willing to sit with them and hold them. But when you're willing to do that, literally just the act of listening, the act of holding, the act of not needing to speak your peace, the act of not needing to shout your own truth, the act of not needing to steal the spotlight is half the battle. That's literally all that it takes to start a healing process, just being willing and being able, by God's grace, to sit with someone. It always results in healing. Take my yoke on you, I'm gentle, I'm lowly, and you will find healing, rest. It's the solution to weakness. It's the means of healing, but it's also the most powerful weapon in the Christian life. Again, if you wanna dominate the world, if you wanna rule, if you wanna move kings aside, if you wanna break bones, all you need is a gentle word. Solomon talks about that process, right? He says, when you have actually taken the time to hold someone, listening to them with undivided attention, 
not thinking the whole time, what do I need to say now in response, or what are they thinking about me, or what can I say to impress them, when you actually just bother to listen to them, because you know God's already listened to you, and you're actually paying attention to him, when he finally tells you, speak, when he finally says, here's what you do need to say, when they finally stop talking and let you say something, what comes out is irresistible. What comes out of you will transform their life. Gentleness and meekness, it always comes out of an overflow of experiencing God's gentleness. Once he's healed your weakness, then you can begin to experience meekness. And when you do, you become a vessel of his healing. And when he does prompt you to speak, when you do finally say something, when you stop holding someone, it changes their life. Nothing will be able to stop the truth that you speak into them in that moment. So three principles of biblical gentleness, not a fear, not a timidity, not an insecurity, but when you're so secure that you don't have to say anything unless you really do. Right. Biblical gentleness and biblical meekness. Uh, there's kind of a, a, one more image I, I wanted to leave on us. Uh, one more kind of way of thinking about this. See, uh, for the first 2,500, 2,500-ish years of human warfare, the goal when you were trying to equip yourself for battle was to get the biggest and hardest and heaviest armor to protect yourself and the biggest, heaviest weapon to hurt others. If you wanted to win a battle, you needed big, heavy weapons, and if you wanted to protect yourself in battle, you got big, heavy shields and armor. And that's the way human history, or at least human war, was waged for thousands of thousands of thousands of years until about 500 years ago when a little tiny pellet we call the bullet changed the trajectory of human warfare. They scientists and, and uh, militarists realized something. No matter how heavy the metal, no matter how big the protection, it will never be able to defend a single point, a single chink in the armor, if you aim a little tiny piece of metal well and you fire it really intensely. There is no armor, no hardness that can stop a bullet. The harder the object, the more when it hits a single point in it, the more it cracks and breaks. It literally, within 100 years, just about destroyed the entire way that war was waged. Thousands of years of human development and warfare just ended in less than a century. And then the bullet basically developed the way we did warfare and waged it for another 500 years until a couple decades ago, scientists invented something incredible. They finally found a way to create bulletproof armor. They called it Kevlar. What they found was there's actually a material that can stop a bullet, spider's thread, silk, from a little animal. When you mesh it all together, you create a substance that can stop even bullets. And the reason 
is how soft it is. See, when a bullet hits Kevlar, spider silk, the silk is strong, but it's soft. It's gentle. And when the bullet hits, the softness of the Kevlar absorbs it. It wraps around it, and then it disperses. It reverberates. You can watch this in slow motion. There's like waves as it reverberates. It takes all the energy and all the motion and all the intensity of the bullet, and it just makes it nothing. And the bullet becomes not fatal, sometimes absolutely useless because of just how gentle that spider silk is. That's what gentleness does. When you are willing to let God hold you to the point that you can hold others, you become so soft that whatever darkness, whatever anxiety, fear, anger, confusion is propelling them towards darkness, when they hit you, when they hit God's gentleness in you, it just bends around them, it holds them, and it just stops whatever momentum is going on that doesn't need to be there. And when you give a meek word, it's like a bullet. When you take the time to just hold someone and let God aim you and let his words, not yours, his desires, not yours, his needs or his feelings or his impetus, he doesn't have any real needs, but his impetus drive you instead of needing to be seen drive you when you finally do speak. No hardness in someone's heart will keep you from going straight to their heart. It's the ultimate weapon of the Christian life. If you want to inherit the earth, learn meekness. Learn the meek word. If you want to be a part of God's healing, learn gentleness. Become so soft that you can hold whatever it is they're going through with undivided attention because God's already given you his undivided attention. You can give it to others. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the cure. I want to end with one more a testimony of this. I'll never forget this moment. It was the most uh, compelling image of gentleness I, I ever saw, I've, I've ever seen played out in my life. Um, when I was up in New Jersey, I was a youth pastor for about four years. Um, I was the assistant youth pastor, kind of like the, yeah, the intern youth pastor for a couple years, and then I took over. And then uh, one of my best friends kind of came on the team with me, so I was kind of the, the co-youth pastor after that. So I was Assistant youth pastor, youth pastor, co-youth pastor. Um, and my last trip, one of the last things I ever did with my youth group, we went on a, a trip out to Michigan. We took all of our students. Again, it was me, my friend, and then a couple of our volunteers. And uh, when we got there, one of the students who came with us was this young man, this uh, eighth grade boy named Caleb. Caleb had been a part of the youth group since before I got to the church, so I'd seen him around forever. He'd come, and he kept coming, so I knew we were doing something right. Um, but literally, in four years of being around this young man, I had heard Caleb say maybe 10 words. Caleb just, he was goofy and he was funny. Whenever there was a prank or when there was something, he would do it. And he kept showing up, but Caleb just didn't ever seem to want to talk. And not just in like Bible study. I mean, 
He just didn't seem like he wanted to talk much. So we just were loving and kind or whatever. But there was one day where we were kind of out in an open quad, and Caleb kind of had, you could tell something was up, and one of our volunteer leaders went over to him and said, hey, do you need to talk? And Caleb kind of said, and then just kind of started walking. And I watched, again, it was the other side of the quad, one of our volunteers just walked over with Caleb. So they just kind of sat down in the corner. And again, I was, it was within eyeshot, almost within earshot, but we were a little ways away. And I watched as Caleb just kind of played in the grass for about five minutes, just kind of tore up the grass. And our volunteer just sat there. Didn't say a word. Five minutes go by. Ten minutes go by. I start, you know, taking care of some of the other students. I come back 15 minutes later. Still, they haven't moved. Caleb is still playing in the grass our volunteer is still kind of just looking at him and looking at the grass, just holding him in that moment. 20 minutes, 25, I come back 30 minutes later looking back and forth on this quad and finally I start to see Caleb talking. And I leave there and I come back an hour later and Caleb is just finishing up talking. I watched that volunteer pray over him after an hour and a half of this volunteer saying only a few words. And Caleb comes back a completely different student. Started to talk at every Bible study. Started to, the way he started to pray was totally changed. Had like, got baptized, totally changed life. We came back from that trip. There were a couple of weeks left in my time in New Jersey. He was a completely different student. He wrote a letter to us, to the staff from the trip, and he said that moment was the first real moment he ever encountered God. A couple years later, Caleb started to pursue vocational ministry because God had become such a reality in his life. And what brought him to the Lord wasn't a wise word. It wasn't impressive wisdom. It wasn't knowing the answers. It was the fact that someone just held him. Meekness, gentleness, is when you have received enough of the Lord's attention, you've let him hold you long enough that you can listen to him and listen to another with undivided attention. And when you do, God has the freedom to heal. Meekness isn't weakness, it's the cure. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you said you are gentle and meek in heart. I pray that we would encounter your meekness and your gentleness, Holy Spirit, that you blow through this place quietly, with your stillness, if there are any storms that are going on in us, Lord, any ways in which we haven't yet heard or felt you care for us, heard or seen you holding us, I pray that we'd experience that today so that as we go out from here, we become vessels of your gentleness, speakers of your meekness. We pray you'd use it to transform the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.